Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It is a Thursday morning in the middle of July, Sam, and we have a ton of NFL news to discuss. But before we get into all of the news, franchise tags and holdouts and fake story, no holdouts, but fake stories that haven't broken yet about the Washington football team, which we're not going to discuss. Let's discuss a little uh, Montana Young, which posted on Monday, and I do recommend, if you didn't listen to the Monday podcast, go listen to it. It is a unique look. At Joe Montana and Steve Young, pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. I'm, I mean, I was really happy with the way that podcast uh, worked out. The feedback has been fantastic. The feedback for the Randy Moss one that we did before, you can you know find that earlier in your your podcast feed. I think that was the start of June. Um, the feedback we got from that one was great, and the only sort of criticisms were it could have been a bit longer. So the Montana versus Young one was a bit longer. I think we added 15 more minutes, something like that, to. The, the Randy Moss episode length. Um, and I think it's the right kind of area. I think we got pretty good uh, totality of story. We got some really interesting nuggets from the guys we talked to, Lee Steinberg, uh, Steve Young's agent, Mahomes agent now, um, you know, a bunch of the guys, Ronnie Lott, uh, NFL royalty on the podcast. So yeah, it was, I think it was good. I think it worked out well. I thought the story was pieced together well again uh, by you. Also, you know, we live in a world, Sam, we don't get a whole lot of positive feedback, right? You just, you just get, when you do something wrong, you hear about it, you get negative feedback, but this actually went the other way, right? We had a lot of people uh, go out of their way to say, loved it, liked the format, liked the change up and all that stuff. So um, if you're you know, only into the current NFL stuff and maybe you weren't attracted to the, to the title because we were doing this retrospective look, I do think it's, uh, it's worth a listen because it's, uh, it's different, unique, and um, you were pretty good, Sam. But again, Tyler producing the thing was was spectacular with some of the uh, the way he built the drama and the music and everything, and put it all together. 
Yeah, legitimately, that guy is a magician in terms of what he can do with this stuff. I have, you know, a vague idea of what this is supposed to be in my head, you know, helping with the structure, finding the bits and pieces, but he's the guy that puts it all together and turns it into actual artwork um, as opposed to just, you know, the random collection of junk that I throw in a document for him. So, yeah, huge kudos to him. The one thing I think that I don't think we we got in there that I, I might have sort of added in there as a little sidebar is, you know, we we talk about, how is it different from any other quarterback controversy ever? You know, Aaron Rodgers versus Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers now uh, against, you know, Jordan Love or, or whatever, any pick your poison. Um, it, it sort of predated all the mechanisms now that basically prevent that from ever happening again. You know, now there's a salary cap and everybody kind of loses their mind over, you know, how much of a, a percentage even a Patrick Mahomes, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL, how much of a percentage of your cap can you dedicate to that guy? This predated the salary cap in any meaningful way. So the, the 49ers could keep both of these guys on the roster for six years. Like I think Steve Young in Tampa Bay was earning more money than Joe Montana in, in San Francisco. And at one point in time, they were the number one and the number three best paid players in the NFL on one roster. Like you, you wow. couldn't do that yeah. now, even if you wanted to do it, you know? Yeah, that's cheating. That's why they put the yes. salary cap in. <laughs> so it's, it's really good stuff. So go check it out if you guys didn't. The uh, Montana Young episode. Now let's get into uh, some of the current news. Uh, it was news. It's there like is nothing happened for the last two months, and then suddenly one. What, what did it happen? Monday. One. Well, it was the long-term deal was. deadline for franchise right. tag. Whenever, but like one day, one afternoon, four or five things break, and suddenly there's actual things to talk about. So we've got a long-term deal, multiple long-term deals. Chris Jones with the Kansas City Chiefs, Miles Garrett with the Cleveland Browns, um, Derek Henry, sorry, with the Tennessee Titans. They all signed mm -hmm. deals. Um, I think the the biggest story is Dak and the Dallas yeah. Cowboys not signing a lot a long-term deal. So let's start there. Dak is going to be playing on the franchise tag. I just did a radio hit this morning, and I think nothing sums up describing the Dak situation with listen to me sit on the fence is he worth it well yeah he's worth it because of this is he not worth it well i can understand the other side because of this i mean oh, this is like your this is your dream question the dying this is like, me this is, I, I a, this is made for you to just stride the fence and, and not say anything long-term pff podcast listeners could probably go back and be like steve you already said you would never do this they're making the right move not signing them and then someone else will find somewhere where I said, you idiots, just lock them up, just pay them. So, um, yeah. I meant to send you this message earlier. Um, but so I, I did a radio hit this morning. I did a couple of them, actually. And I think just, you know, because now radio hits for me are like this, this thing where I have to drag all my crap up to the car because the car is my radio studio now. It's the, the only place in this house that's quiet and free of people. Lockdown um, and studio. Doesn't, yeah, yeah. And doesn't like echo. Um, so I have right. to grab the laptop, head to the car in the garage, uh, garage, garage, um, that's a garage, turn place. the light on because I, I have like a motion sensor one. So when I go into the garage, the light comes on and then I'm, then I don't think about it. I get in the car and then the motion stops and the light goes off and I'm sitting there in pitch blackness. So I have to remember to turn the light on. Um, I think just because it's such a, a palava, um, usually when the, the radio hit ends, you hang on the line a little second because the producer often comes on and says, hey, thanks for you know coming on. Talk to you later, blah, blah, blah. And it, you know, it's polite. 
I've taken that just immediately as soon as they stop just hanging up. Are, are you still giving them the, the, the polite, you know, hang on just in case, or are you just click? I, I did the hang up. I did the hang up today. Um, <laughs> I think most people, I'd say it's 75% of people, uh, maybe it's like 50, 50 still, they just hang up on me. I think half of my hits yeah. end up with, it's just only like, yeah, it's only like half of them that hang on and be like, Hey, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. Blah, blah, blah. But, but I, I think it's, I don't want to be like rude to those, those half. So you always sort of hang on just to see. No, uh, I think it's pretty standard because there's so many people that hang up. If you're a hang up guy, it's like, Oh, he's just, he just hung up this time. Good. Cause I've, I've pivoted like as, as, as the lockdown has gone on, I've become, become hey, the hang up guy not the, not the stand, not the wait on and, and, pleasantries guy some serious first world problems you have here or first world discussions here <laughs> sam really to be honest anyway Dak, um, Dak prescott yeah Dude, so, there's a guy that left us yeah. a a review on the podcast recently that was like two stars way too much sidebar you know minute like that guy's gonna be pissed at the last five minutes does not like it oh we didn't even talk about my baby oh yeah he had a, had a fourth baby congratulations yeah thank you that's it that's the end of the sidebar yeah done do i look tired that's just I mean, no more than you usually do. You're you're reaching that point where you just look tired all the time, you know. Mm, great. Yeah. Listen, PFF has prepared me for uh, for being a dad, and it's going to really accelerate the uh, the gray coming through, though. Yeah, it's bad. I got a haircut. <laughs> I went back to um, what's her face. <laughs> you My, need, uh... Come on, you need to name drop the lady. You can't you can't give her a what's her face. The one that isn't Katie. It's not Katie. Now I keep right. uh, Liz. I went back to Liz. She cut my hair. There you go. Um, but I didn't. That's all. Not that I do anything else there. But I, you know, it was quick we, so you're reaching. You're probably reaching the point where like it, it's isn't well, we it? At some point, you have to accept that it's there, right? You can't keep because otherwise you're going to have like. When I'm in my forties, like, I will until then. Because otherwise, you're going to go from like full gray to full black, like you know, and meet like in immediate changes you've got to like at some point you have to be like all right it's it's i can't fight this any further well I, let's just say i should have taken the time to cover it up a little bit more but i didn't because huh. of uh, okay because of lockdown anywho so. dak prescott so dak they're gonna franchise gonna him so mad. what is your what are your thoughts here should, you know, where did dallas go wrong is this the right move yeah Give me your overall so i'm gonna i'm gonna write this up for next week i think but i actually think it's the best move for both parties at this point Um, yeah. So we talked last week about how the Mahomes contract wouldn't really affect the Dak Prescott deal because they're just they're in different worlds in terms of what they are as quarterbacks, in terms of what you're going to be paying them, in terms of the contract structure you would be giving them. And the holdup on this one appeared to be Dak wanted a shorter term deal. He wanted a four year extension, um, a chance to hit free agency again, you know, later on. And the Cowboys wanted five years. And that was the, the, the final stumbling block in addition to presumably money at the bank end. Um, But I think the Cowboys through Dak Prescott's career at this point should have come to the conclusion that there is a, there is a cap on how good Dak Prescott is, right? He was obviously better than the fourth round rookie that everyone thought he was in this sort of throwaway mid round prospect. Um, But the four years of his career probably should have taught us that like, he's not elite. He's good, but he's not great. and not only that, but they should have sort of seen a fairly strong correlation between how good he is and how good the situation around him is. I.e., when we create a great offensive line, a great running game, and a great receiving core, and a great 
coaching system, Dak Prescott looks really good. And when we don't have those things, he looks okay, reasonable, better than average, but not great. At which point now you have to ask the question, all right, so if we have that great situation, how good does the next guy look in that? Like how good does Andy Dalton look in that system? Or how good does, you know, the next rookie we pick off the street or a Jameis Winston or a Cam Newton or, you know, one of these guys that's freely available, a Marcus Mariota, how good does that guy look within this great system that will make Dak Prescott look like a top 10 quarterback? And the answer is probably that guy looks pretty close to that. Like Andy Dalton has already shown that he can be a borderline top 10 quarterback in a great situation. Now, maybe he doesn't have that anymore because we're, almost five years or five years removed from that season. Right. But he can get pretty close, at which point there's got to be like a cap on the amount of money you're willing to dedicate to that because he's not great. He's not transcendent. He needs that situation around him. So here's the amount of money we're willing to dedicate to him because we need the rest to, to build that around him. So for Dallas, I think they're absolutely right to say, this is our dollar amount that we're willing to give you. And we're not going higher than that. If you want higher than that, it's not coming from here. For Dak's camp, I think it works out well for him, too. He get, he now gets to go the Kirk Cousins route of making money, which is, look, he's made peanuts for the first four years. Now he gets $31 million guaranteed or whatever it is for one year, and he gets to take a second shot at this. Either he gets another year next year from the Cowboys guaranteed, in which case in two years he's made 60-some million guaranteed, 70 maybe. I, well, I forget what the escalator is. Um, or next offseason the Cowboys let him walk and he gets a big deal somewhere else either way I think that works out well for him so I think this is win-win so I think the Cousins comparison is fascinating and as you're talking it out just the fact that they're fourth round picks I wonder if that is dictating the action as well the way you described Dak he's a guy who in four years from a PFF standpoint has had two top 10 finishes his rookie season 2016 and then last year's 10th whatever in our grades the other two seasons, though, he was 18th, 19th, 20th. He was much lower. And to your point, last year their offense was spectacular. All of the advanced metrics, which a lot of people, a lot of people in our little, small, advanced analytics, football, Twitter community only use, I think, team-centric type of stuff, EPA and various things like that, where he looks like a star. But even using war, looked like a star last year and all that stuff. But admittedly, that is somewhat dictated by having a full season of Amari Cooper, by having Michael Gallup emerge. By the way, I mentioned this to you recently, like Randall Cobb had a quiet 800 yards last year. He was their right. number three wide receiver. And we gave the Cowboys the number one receiving core in the league in our rankings this week. But it's actually going to be tough for them to duplicate what they did last year. Even as good as CD Lamb is, but you know, Randall Cobb had 800 yards as their number three. So um, they had a great supporting cast. It was the first year of Kellen Moore as the play caller. Um, and I know there's two ways of looking at this. Do you, do you look at Dak's first three years and say, well, actually, he was held down by Jason Garrett, a guy who gets, you know, a mediocre head coach in a lot of circles. People are expecting him to be fired for a few years. They never really unleashed Dak, right? They protected him. There was always something missing there. Do you say he was held down for three years? Or do you say that was the baseline and the standard. And then he was elevated by Kellen Moore in a new system and more play action and just more favorable looks and all that stuff. Either way, like you can talk yourself in and out of this thing uh, left and right. The, the point I want to make Dak Prescott and Kirk cousins are both guys where you can have a four hour discussion 
where half of it is here's why he's worth it and half of it is here's why he's not. And both of those guys are guys where teams were not willing to pay the big money up front. They did the franchise tag thing. And, and both quarterbacks seemed they were just, you know, what they want to do is to maximize every dollar. And maybe it's because they were fourth round picks and they didn't get paid huge money right away there. But there's this world where you pay quarterbacks what they're worth. And if that's the case, Dak comes in eighth. Cousins comes in. They're both like top 10, top 12 from like a value standpoint, given their age and production. But both guys are saying, I know the market. I know my value. I'm maximizing every dollar. I think the situations are so similar in all of those respects, including the fact that you could talk yourself into both sides of it. Just in case you're as useless as I am, um, the one time nobody reminded a, either of us to start our audio independently, I didn't start my audio independently until the last couple of seconds. So in case you haven't started your recording audio, fire that on there. The good news is the only crappy audio will remain is the, the sidebars that nobody wants to listen to anyway. So mine's now going. Um, mine's been going, point, so they cut out, oh, they cut out all of our chat. No, no, no. You should be good. It's just that I won't have clean audio for the first chat of mine. It'll just, oh, okay. be, the, uh, it'll just be the Zoom audio. Um, the other point, I think, with, with Dak Prescott, and the other reason I think it's a good deal for him is this is the year that the Cowboys are set for, every, for him to look great, right? The receiving sure. core is as good as it's ever been. The offensive line should still be in good shape. The, you know, Kellen Moore remained Mike McCarthy comes on, the offensive system should be better than it's been for most of his career. So I think Dak Prescott, I mean, Dak Prescott could easily have a career year this year. And if not, it will probably be, you know, up there with the best years he's had as opposed to down by the worst. So at the very minimum, he's going to hit essentially the same situation as he has been this offseason in as good a standing, if not better. Like basically the only way this doesn't work out well for Dak Prescott is if he has a catastrophic injury, um, which is True. which is really the only downside to going the Kirk Cousins route in terms of maximizing your money. Like that will make you the most money, but you are betting against your risk of injury. Um, and and even though there's that, so few fine. like Teddy Bridgewater esque near career right. enders, you know, yeah, I mean, like of... if he tears an ACL, it's right. nothing. It doesn't matter right. anymore. You'll come back and you know you'll be fine. I think I, I am interested in that Mike McCarthy. Uh, Kellen Moore dynamic because McCarthy called plays in Green Bay. I mean, he was the offensive coach in Green Bay, and yes, it, he did do his his own offseason audit on how he was going to you know structure the next his next job and and all that stuff, and decided to stick with Kellen Moore. But is he really going to stick with Kellen Moore? Is it a situation where there's there's too many cooks in the kitchen? Kellen Moore's calling plays, but Mike McCarthy has his insight. Those things always fascinate me because when you're used to being the guy and the play caller, do you give up everything? Or is it just, wow, two minds are better than one, you know? So um, I think it's also a little, Dak had a career year last year from a production standpoint. So it might be too aggressive to say like, oh, he's set up to do even better than last year. I don't know that he necessarily is. Like I said, Randall Cobb, was one of the most productive slot receivers in the NFL last year. A little under the radar. They have a flashier name now, a younger player in C.D. Lamb. But can that trio truly duplicate what they did last year? Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and then C.D. Lamb you know, replacing Randall Cobb. They still don't have a great tight end situation with Blake Jarwin as the, the number one option there. So 
I, I don't know if he's set up to be that much better. I'll tell you where they're set up better, though, is to win more games. I think the defense should be a little better than they were after they regressed last year. And they just had, they're one of those teams that just had some bad luck as far as wins and losses go. So if they play the exact same as last year, they should win more games. And it'll look like Mike McCarthy got them to 10 wins or 11 wins when maybe they played, you know, the same as they did in 2019. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's all true. Um, but yeah, I think the, the bottom line is everyone's going to criticize Dallas, right? Which you, you didn't get this guy locked up. You didn't get uh, the deal done. You were haggling over one year, all the, the various different things. Ultimately, I think they're right to put a line in the sand and say, we're not going beyond this. Like, we're not in this world anymore where you need to give those Alex Smith contracts, right? This idea of the fear of not having Alex Smith is so great that you need to hand that guy a $100 million contract. You don't need to make Dak Prescott the best paid quarterback in the NFL. You don't need to give him a Russell Wilson contract because you can get pretty close to what Dak Prescott is giving you for almost nothing. Cam Newton signed essentially on a pay-as-you-go deal that even if he wins a Super Bowl and gets MVP, pays him $7.5 million. Jameis Winston signed on to be a backup to have a shot of maybe replacing Drew Brees down the line for like a million. Like, you, you know, the, the chances of you being in complete quarterback hell by getting rid of Dak Prescott are so small now that you have to have like a, a firm value yeah. and a line in the sand. Honestly, I don't hear a lot of people talking about that now. And one of the things I wanted to like pose to my Twitter followers, a lot of, because you just hear the term franchise quarterback all the time. And I've always thought that we're of the mentality, which is um, top 10, like get a top eight guy, get a top 10 guy. Right. And now we've discussed all the time about the NFL having there's, there's 32 starters out there, maybe more, at least capable starters in the NFL. Um, so like our friend Darren Orlovsky, who, um, you know, says has some football takes that we question every now and again. Uh, Orlovsky, Sam, doesn't have – he's got some questionable football takes every now and again. Like if you Sometimes. follow Dan, um, you'll think that every quarterback in the NFL is special. Like, oh, look at Drew Locke do this special thing and look at Sam Darnold do this special thing. But like it, just using Dan as an example, does Dan think that a quote-unquote franchise quarterback that there's – 25 of them out there there's 30 of them and that you can find a franchise and so and that's fine if he believes that then that's even more case to not pay a Dak Prescott if 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 people truly believe that these franchise quarterbacks are falling off trees um but the other way would be you only pay a Russell Wilson a Patrick Mahomes the only you only pay those guys and you're at least, at, to your point, going to be 90%, 95% of this other guy for a fraction of the value. And I think that's the world we live in in the NFL right now is I would love to see it simulated, right? What would the next four years of Dak be compared to the next four years of give me one year of Jameis, one year of Mariota, one year of Cam, and one year of – let's throw Nick Foles in there just for fun. All right. Cause right. you know, whatever, but you just say, what if you just got those four guys on one year deals compared to four years of Dak? And when you do those one year deals with those guys, they're say 20 million, 22 million. It, and so there's a whole bunch of other cap space to spend in other areas. I think that's, I think that's a different world for the NFL right now than it was five or 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, exist. I think that's all true. I think that's why, it, you know, the, it's why all these discussions about contracts and what percentage you should give 
to you know quarterbacks and no team that's done X has ever won a Super Bowl. Oh, like wow. I mean, they're always absurd, but even more so when you start talking about salary cap stuff. Because like I say, you go back to the 49ers dynasty, there was no salary gap. Like the salary gap era is an even smaller subset of the already small subset Super Bowl, you know, list of teams. Like you can't, you can't operate that way. You have to work on macro numbers and what the the situation is. And, you know, when, when did Alex Smith get that hundred million dollar contract? But it's like 2013. 2013. Right. You don't have to go back that far, and the landscape is completely different. Like at that point, there was a very real chance that the bottom few teams in the NFL could not find a quarterback Do- and would go year after year after year of Christian Ponders and Brody Croyles and all these disasters. That is just not the case anymore. Do you remember what used to happen back then, too? If a backup quarterback had one good game, everybody would be talking about, well, that guy's yeah, yeah. going to get flipped for a first round. AJ pick. Feely. Uh, AJ McCarron, AJ McCarron, AJ Feely, uh, Kevin Cobb. Like, yeah, the second you flashed anything, you were being flipped right. for a first, second round pick. You were starting. The yeah, ultimate I mean, one was my 1997 Jaguars, Rob Johnson. Of course, 28 passes, and he got a massive deal from the Buffalo Bills. But, but you don't hear that anymore, Sam. Like, you don't hear <laughs> the backup quarterback has like two good preseason games and all of a sudden the next year, like, Oh man, they're going to flip him for a first round pick. You just don't have that as much because you know, those, those quarterbacks are readily available. So um, here's the one other thing I'll add to this, right? Comparing that five or 10 years ago to now, normally I would say, okay, it is a little risky unless you have your Steve young waiting, unless you have your next guy waiting, you should continually continually be looking for that next guy. But maybe I need to come off that take just a little bit. Okay, maybe Dallas doesn't. Like, if would Dallas be smart to have been drafting quarterbacks all along the way, right? Finding that next guy as Dak insurance, um, because what they just got out of Dak as a fourth round pick on a cheap deal is incredibly valuable. Is incredibly valuable for the money, and it's part of the reason why they've won so many games. Like, let's not. It's a part of it, right? So, are they wrong for not having a backup option? Or, again, because of the landscape, it's like, oh, we'll just grab Jameis for a year. We, we, they have enough buffer room and transitional time to, to make it work. That's actually a really good point, that maybe the dynamic of how quarterback chasing should be is, is changing. You know, the, it used to be that the value of finding a quarterback was so great, but a, a huge part of that is because not having one was, uh, was prohibitive. Like, if you didn't have a quarterback – you're done. Forget it. You're not, not only are you not winning a Super Bowl, you're not even, you're not winning anything. If you have one of these disastrous quarterbacks, you might as well not bother with that season. You might as well toss it up, shoot for the next year and keep going. Now you're not in that situation anymore. You can win. You can win a lot of games with the bottom rung of NFL quarterbacks. You can probably win. You're getting pretty close to being able to win everything with a, with a bottom rung NFL quarterback now because the standard is raised, but now the value, so you can definitely run uh, this approach of what if we pivoted all the resources to everything else, right? What if we build these, you know, Denver Broncos rosters that, that carried Peyton Manning, or what if we build, you know, these great rosters and then just get it like a steward, at quarterback who won't screw it up. Right. Get, I mean, honestly, it's, it's reaching the point where, you know, 
the, the Chargers approach with a Tyrod Taylor might be the way of doing it, right? We, we make the rest of the roster so good, and then we just we get a Tyrod. It's easy. They, they, those guys are available for nothing. We snag them, and that's how we win year on year. Um, and, but now the value in finding the quarterback is not finding a viable guy. It's, well, if we find Patrick Mahomes, everything changes. Because yeah. now that roster can be like, can be average it can be worse than average and patrick mahomes will hide everything but there's only a handful of those guys right like we found deshaun watson so it doesn't matter what the rest of the roster looks like he's just going to get it done all by himself essentially so i mean the question is is it still worth what it used to be worth to keep taking those swings at quarterback because now it's not that if you find a viable guy it's if you find the next great guy it completely changes everything the problem yeah, is tricky. how many of those guys I think are going to last late in the draft. Like, I mean, the True. draft is still a crapshoot, but most great quarterbacks are going to go early, right? They're not going to last until the fourth round, you know, and you just get lucky. It's really tricky. I mean, it, I think the key is like, if you could identify Patrick Mahomes, obviously you take him. It's hard to identify. Um, but there's probably a world where like, if you're the Jaguars a few years ago, Blake Bortles is beyond the steward he's below the steward that you mentioned of of a good roster right and you would probably have to keep taking swings and had they done that had they taken a swing at a Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes it's franchise changing so that is the thing right it's a it's a franchise changing pick when you hit one but it's also not it's not a crippling move if you miss on one right it's not as poor it's not as bad for your franchise if you miss on a Christian Ponder and, and so, um, I don't know, we're just talking around, we're talking ourselves in circles, but I think there's all these different angles. And I think the tricky part is there's 32 different teams and you're kind of stuck with the guy that you have. That's the other, like you don't have, when, when we put a draft board together every year, it's like, oh, I'm just, here's my top 300 players, right? Here's the best free agents. But you either have Dak Prescott or you, you know, he's your guy. So you either have to figure out, is he my long-term answer or do I take the chance of the unknown? So there's also the unknown factor. The other part of Dallas is the fact that they paid Zeke and they paid Amari and they paid all these other guys along the way. How much has that hindered things? You know, how much does that make Dak hold out even further when you could have had him discounted a year and a half ago? So that's the other part of this. You could have had Dak for a lot cheaper money probably a couple of years ago, though maybe with more risk because it was before you saw that type of season he could have put together last year. That last part, though, is what's interesting about all these all these deals. None of them exist in a vacuum. And in almost every single situation, whether or not the current contract you're talking about is good or bad, the team has made one previous deal that causes problems. So with the Cowboys, it's whether the Zeke contract made sense. With Kansas City, who just signed Chris Jones, it's the Frank Clark deal, right? So, you know, they, they lock up Mahomes. Yeah, thank you. They lock up Mahomes to the half billion dollar contract. We already talked about that. They then get Chris Jones. And I didn't think this one was going to happen with the previous deals they did. But it's like the first bonus of the Mahomes structure, the the Mahomes deal, the way it was done. It's like the first dividend of that already paying out. They still have the freedom to be able to lock up their best defensive player for multiple years as well. Um, Right. But it's like so you have to you have to ask sort of analyze two ways it's like is the contract to lock the, lock down chris jones a good deal and i think it probably is like you chris jones is one of those players where again you can make the argument that he's the best interior pass rusher in the nfl that isn't aaron donald 
Um, and that guy, that's a sort of fierce competition, but I think Jones is right up there with anybody over two, three, four years. He's basically joint with Fletcher Cox in terms of most pressures, best pressure rate, pass rush win rate from the inside. Again, those guys are way behind Donald, but they're the top of the chasing pack. Um, we saw in the Super Bowl that he's capable of taking over play, uh, games, you know, made a few huge plays that helped swing that game. Um, you know, I've, I've seen people sort of say, yeah, he also disappears for stretches, but like, that's just the nature of that position, right? You, I mean, Aaron I Donald, the same thing. You can take those guys away. And that's why, you know, the data says that you throw money at receivers and quarterbacks and everything else where you can't really take them away. You can neutralize those guys, but he's as dominant as anybody. So I think paying him is fair, but you have to look at it in the light of, well, they've already thrown a lot of money at Frank Clark. Is it wise to pay him knowing that you've already made that deal? Yeah. First off, the takes plays off thing or disappearing or whatever you want to call it drives me nuts because, you know, we have a, we have a play-by-play system. And if, if he didn't take enough plays off to grade average or poorly on the 700, 800 plays we have graded, then does it even matter? Does it right. matter when you make your plays if you're making more than everyone else? Not really. Um, anyway, so Chris Jones is awesome. We all agree with that. I'm just looking at the cap the next few years. You're right. Like Mahomes is not going to crush the cap in 2020 or 21. Into tw- and now, once you get into 2022 and you have Mahomes making 31, Chris Jones is at 22, Frank Clark's at 26, and Tyreek Hill's at over 20. And Anthony Hitchens is over 12. Um, so that is that is where it starts to catch up. But then it goes back to like, all right, if you win a Super Bowl over the next two years, is it immediately worth it? Do you like suffer through a year where it's tough, maybe in 2022 or 23 or whatever it is? 23 is where it's it's unreal. You've got four guys locked up. Harrison Butker is one of them. Four guys locked up for the Chiefs. Mahomes is over 42 million. Chris Jones is at 20, and Frank Clark is at 27.8. The four guys, including the kicker, make up over 94.6 million dollars in 2023. Yeah, I think it's that year, but there's a year that comes up around that area where like five guys are going to account for basically 50% of their cap. Um, And, and this is with Travis Kelsey and Mitchell Schwartz coming up. Like those two guys are going to need to be re-signed pretty soon. Um, It's like the Mahomes contract. I don't think is, I don't think it's ever going to be a major burden to the chiefs, but it's the question of what, what is the other deals? Like you can only pay so many guys. Right. And that's, this was the problem that the Seahawks dealt with for years. Right. They, they, the Chiefs almost need one of those drafts at some point in this window that they're going to have to win a Super Bowl to be able to dump some of these other contracts, right? Because you, you, there's only so many guys you can hand the big money deal to. Obviously, quarterback is your first port of call. Them getting uh, financial certainty on that deal for the next 12 years is absurdly good because now they can structure everything else. But now they have to, they know that there's only like two or three other guys they can hand a big money contract to. And they've already done it to two of them. Like that is the concern that I have is that, you know, once you have Mahomes locked down, you basically have to pick and choose which other two or three guys on your roster do you hand big contracts to. And they've already done that with Frank Clark and Chris Jones. And only one of those two, I think, is worth it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, let, let's go back and say, okay, here's your perfect team building scenario. And I get it. I repeat myself a lot, so I'll repeat it again. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. We've seen a ton of awesome from him for two years. 
he also stepped into a system with Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey. I think the, like those, however you however you divvy up credit from a play calling system standpoint, like that exists. It's really really good. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, arguably the two most important posi- players at their respective positions, in addition to having a special quarterback. Don't forget Alex Smith's production in 2017. Prima Holmes led the league in passer rating, led the league in deep passing yards. Alex Smith. And we always talk about deep passing yards, like Bills fans, Josh Allen alert, bingo. You're, you can have deep passing production without the best deep passer if you're, because your playmakers can dictate that. So adding a Stephon Diggs to the Bills will help that. Allen, will, he'll hit a few of them. Um, so in other words, Mahomes is special. But like 50 touchdowns comes from having Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Um, the the runs that he been, has, has been on the last two years comes from having those guys. I To maximize his production, you need those, those types of guys around. Um, it's not to say that he can't do any of this stuff. It's not to say that if you gave him a mediocre group of receivers, he still wouldn't be putting up MVP caliber numbers. It's just less likely. Yes, he's in that top tier that's going to elevate everybody around him. And he... Maybe if you made Demarcus Robinson his number two, Demarcus Robinson all of a sudden looks special, right? But it's riskier. And it's really riskier when you look at the cap and you're like, at some point, Tyreek Hill loses a step. At some point, maybe you can't lock up Travis Kelsey or he starts to get banged up like a lot of tight ends do. And you are hamstringing yourself from being able to continue to pour resources into the playmakers, into the guys that are going to ensure that your passing game is special. Um, all that said, I think that's just the best. That's just like the most efficient way to stay near the top of the league. Um, at the same time, because your point, right? Everybody says nobody's won a Super Bowl when this happened, and you look back at say Peyton Manning's career, and like throughout their entire career, they had a one of the best passing offenses. He always had a ton of playmakers to throw to, and it always felt like they were missing the defense. Oh, the defense just wouldn't, they couldn't invest in defense enough. They just couldn't make enough stops, whatever it was. So people think, well, Peyton Manning, you got to win by defense. And the, the Colts did it the wrong way by building around him. When I would say they did the right thing by building around him, making everything great around Peyton. And that's why they were sitting near the top of the league every single year. And then, you know, when he did lose his playmakers in 2010 or so, they took a step back. Like they weren't the same team. So that is what kept them relevant. And then when you get into the playoffs, it's kind of like it can go anyway, right? You need to just be good enough on defense like the Chiefs were uh, last year to win. So all that said, what happens if you lose a Tyree Kill or a Travis Kelsey and you can't completely reload with the playmakers the next year because of Frank Clark and Chris Jones? That's the question. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, every one of these big contracts that you hand out to somebody effectively just – decreases your capacity to do it down the line for somebody else. So what you have to ask at every one of these deals that comes up is like, is this the guy we want to be handing that deal to? Because for the next five years, he's the one that's going to have the money, not another random position. Right. And if you're a team like the chiefs, you have two other obvious, like immediate options, alternatives, right? Do we want Chris Jones to have the money or do we want Travis Kelsey or Mitchell Schwartz or somebody else to have the money? Um, and that's, that's basically the discussion that each one of these things should come down to is like, is it better for this guy to have the cash or the other options that are coming up on the roster or have the cash available 
for like the next one that we, that isn't an option yet, right? So if we hit on a receiver in the draft and that guy two years down the line needs a big money extension, like would we prefer having that contingency there or would we prefer, prefer having three years of Chris Jones making as much as any defensive lineman in the NFL? Um, those are essentially the questions. I, I think it is worth – I think in a, if they hadn't done the Frank Clark deal, I think Chris Jones would absolutely be worth his contract. Because they've already done the Frank Clark deal, I mean, I, I, I might have tried to avoid paying Chris Jones. I might have done with the franchise tag thing or I might have tried to flip him for a first-round pick. But having that much money tied up in those two guys – when you've or like you've or the the bad move was the Frank Clark deal, not the Chris Jones right. one. But I think doing the Chris Jones one after the Frank Clark deal makes it worse. Let's let's try to see this from the from the Chiefs angle as well now, though, right? Um, Spags, Steve Spagnolo, the uh, <laughs> the defensive coordinator. Every time you uh, say that, it cracks me up. I don't know why. That's why I did it. Uh, just think about it, right? So he's coming out. He was the the architect of the Giants defense that beat Tom Brady and the Patriots. And when you look back at that one game, it was like, look at that. They got pressure almost 50% of the snaps. It's D-line driven. And, you know, they had like the Antrell Rolls and Corey Webster's in the secondary. But it wasn't this elite secondary. And then last year with the Chiefs, it was the same thing. Tyron Matthew, he's awesome. And Juan Thornhill looks like he's going to be a good player. But they didn't have the lockdown corners. Their corners actually weren't that great. But they schemed it up, played some zone, and they felt like they won up front on the defensive line. Now, the reality is they didn't. You know, Chris Jones was awesome. Frank Clark was not very good at getting after the quarterback. And Chris Jones was really the only guy who got pressure. But I think you have this defensive system where they feel like, let's be great in the trenches. We'll stitch it together in the back seven. We'll rely on our scheme. And... From a team-building standpoint, I think that's their strategy. The other piece of it is you mentioned the draft. If they go into drafts and they say, look, we spent all this money on the defensive side of the ball, but we're very aware of the thing Steve's saying is, what if Tyreek loses a step? What if Kelsey gets banged up? Whatever happens. So, yeah, they got Mecole Hardman last year. There was rumors about getting trading up for Henry Ruggs this year. What if they stay so aggressive from a draft standpoint that they just flood their, you know, their draft picks are all playmakers. You know, they, they, that's where they attack a little bit of offensive line to just maintain status quo there. They attack with, they try to get every fast receiver that fits what they're trying to do offensively. I, but the, it's just riskier because you don't know that you're going to hit on players in the draft. You, you put pressure to hit on those players. But I think if that's the strategy that they just say, we're going to build around Mahomes through the draft, but we're going to spend this money on defense that could be one way to kind of, you know, piece this all together. I think either way, when you're, once you get to the point where you're now juggling the salary cap because of all the contracts you've handed out, the draft just buys you breathing space, almost regardless of where you do it, right? Whether you, whether you specifically allocate it that we're going to target the draft in this one area, we're going to go offense, 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 and build the defense through free agency or through internal contracts. Um, Whatever, like just or whether you just draft normally, you know, best player available, whatever, and you take you take whatever's there, hitting like having a successful draft or two just buys you breathing room because then you get to dump, you know, you get to dump a contract that you don't need. You get to replace him with a cheaper guy. It just gives you so much more wiggle room to be able to get out from under the crushing weight of all these contracts that you hand out. So I mean, think, I think either way, the draft will be key for the Chiefs over the next few years. 
All right, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Bet Online. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, Bet Online. With NASCAR, Formula One, and EPL in full swing, there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. If you need even more, Bet Online is simulated NFL Madden game, Sam. Also, NBA 2K and UFC is happening every day live. I didn't realize that. Really? Live every day? UFC right now? Pretty much. They're like Fight Island. They're, they're cranking them out. Smart. Very wise. So every single day, you've got UFC, so you can bet on that as well. As sports gets closer to returning, Bet Online has futures odds on everything you can imagine, season win totals, division odds, and even odds on every league championship. Visit Bet Online. Or use your mobile device to join now and use promo code PODCAST1 to receive your new welcome bonus. It's BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner. Wow. Kirk Cousins, voice track. Uh, Exclusive partner of Podcast One, BetOnline, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code. It's PODCAST1, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E. Podcast One for your sign-up bonus over at bet online. All right. So Chris Jones gets locked up. Miles Garrett, Cleveland Browns also gets locked up as does Derrick Henry. Let's start with miles Garrett. Um, another defensive lineman. Uh, he was our highest rated edge defender last year. Another one of those. We don't need to go on for 20 minutes. You know, he didn't have the most sacks, but he was, you know, the most efficient from a play by play standpoint before he got suspended for the end of the season. What are your thoughts on the Garrett deal? And was this the right move, spending that money for the Browns? It's interesting. These two deals together, Jones and Miles Garrett. So I saw people asking the question, like, does this mean that the NFL or that pass rush is still the second most important you know, NFL position? And I don't think it necessarily means that, but it means the NFL still thinks it is. Uh, yeah, right. You know, the whether NFL or not that's... It. Right. Whether whether or not that's actually true or not, the NFL certainly still thinks that pass rush is the second most important aspect of playing the game. Um, you know, Garrett, like you said, he was there was always this gap, right, between the player, the the potential that Garrett had because of his absurd athleticism and size and speed and freakiness, and the player that he actually was, which is you know good and and effective and flashes that all that skill, but hadn't quite met in the middle yet. And as as his, the years have gone on of him in the NFL, those two players met, right? The, the the potential of Miles Garrett met the reality of what he was actually producing on a week-by-week basis. And last season, I think, was the first year those two worked in harmony and you actually had this true dominant force every single week in terms of probably the best pass rusher or the best edge rusher in the NFL. Like Aaron Donald is the best pass rusher in the NFL. Okay. Sorry, him and but, TJ Watt were right next to each other as far as grade goes. Yeah, so cool. he had the best PFF pass rushing grade, again, amongst edge rushers at the point he brained Mason Rudolph with his own helmet. Um, and we sat, you know, unfortunately he didn't get to see what if that would have sustained for the full season. But I think given his development arc, you know, we talk about guys not always having this perfect step-by-step linear graph that just goes up and up and up. Garrett has like Garrett was good out of the gate and then he got really good. And then last year he was phenomenal for, you know, 11 weeks or whatever it was. I, I think that they're, they're paying him as if that is the guy they've got for the next five years. And I think it's fair to say it, he probably is. I don't see a reason why that guy would disappear. You might see, you know, down seasons where he's a little bit less effective, but I think ultimately the miles Garrett of 2019 is the miles Garrett, that we'll see from now on. He is 
arguably the best edge rusher in the NFL. So I would, here's how I would view it, Sam, because you talked about, okay, uh, does this mean pass rush is the most valuable position on defense? And it doesn't mean that's what the NFL thinks. Well, clearly the NFL thinks that, but from just a PFF analytics standpoint and all that, you're also paying for predictability. You're, pre- you're paying for the ability to know what you're going to get. And that is the benefit, I think, of paying defensive linemen. We say this over and over again. Um, our data is really good at projecting defensive linemen year to year. I think the NFL in general is pretty good at predicting you know, who, who the good defensive linemen are. Um, you see a few first-round busts here and there, but like they, they find Vaughn Millers. They find... Khalil Mag, they find Miles Garrett in the Boses and Chase Youngs. They find them all in the right places, right? You, you see far more busts at offensive tackle and safety and cornerback than you do defensive line. So I think you're paying for stability. You're paying for the, for the ability to know what you're going to get from Miles Garrett year over year. Now, when you compare his deal to, say, what the Bears did, trading for Khalil Mack, I think there's a big difference, right? When you're splitting all those guys I listed, Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller, the Boses, Chase Young, TJ Watt, all those guys, there is a marginal difference between the top 10 edge rushers in the NFL, JJ Watt, whoever it might be. There's a marginal difference. So if you have the option of just simply locking up Miles Garrett, or you go and you give up multiple first round picks and pay big money for Khalil Mack, I think there's a huge difference there because the draft picks that you missed out on probably were going to be more valuable in a vacuum than Khalil Mack if you're the Bears, right? Adding three average players is still probably better than having one elite Khalil Mack. But from a Brown standpoint, there's no, you're not giving up. You don't know that you're giving that up. Like if you don't pay Miles Garrett, you don't have that security that you're going to be able to deploy that money elsewhere and get a similar level of production. So I think you're paying for the stability of having a top 10 edge rusher um, who's probably not, he's not that much better than the other guys around him, but he's certainly not that much worse. You have him locked up and you've got a, a cornerstone of your defense. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't mind. I think it's the stability aspect of it. Again, though, like every contract needing to be taken in the context of like the situation, the Browns had the most salary cap room in the NFL. Um, like it's, this right. is, it's kind of like the, the DeForest Buckner deal for the Colts. Like at some point you have to spend the money, <laughs> right. keeping the powder dry for, you know, the, the time where you're going to have the guy that needs the big contract. Like this is the, this is that contract at some point you're going to have a great player coming up for his next contract and you don't have a good reason not to give him the money. And that's basically where the Browns were. They drafted this guy at the top of the draft. He has panned out to be the player they thought he was and his contract was due. So what is your alternative of what you're planning on doing with this money? Like, unless you are keeping it for a very good reason or something more important down the line, then there's no reason not to hand this guy a contract that they just gave him. And I think the brands are in that spot. Like you can't possibly think the only reason to be reserving this money would be if you were certain that Baker Mayfield was like the next Patrick Mahomes and you had to prepare for that deal in like a year or two's time. They're not like Baker Mayfield is on his last uh, chance in terms of proving he's the franchise guy. They're they're not earmarking money for his extension the way the Chiefs were with Mahomes. At which point the Garrett deal has to get done. Uh, just to 
to add to it, you know, to steal uh, our friend Eric Eager's line about it's like an uneven bet. So, so yes, you would save the money to pay Baker, or you would save the money if you knew you could get this lockdown corner. Or you know, maybe Denzel Ward needs the money. But if you knew that you could get a Stephon Gilmore, he's worth every penny and then some. But it's an uneven bet because paying cornerbacks, you just don't really. The payoff is incredible, but it also could be negligible as well. So, um, it's it's just knowing what you're going to get from Garrett versus if, you know, this, if you went and got a cornerback, you just don't really know. Um, but you do need to invest in the secondary as well to make this happen. But to your point, they do have a ton of cap space. Um, the last deal, the Derrick Henry deal for the Tennessee Titans, I want to start with, because um, I, I don't want to sit here for an hour, Sam, and bash running backs, right? We don't want, do we want to do that? No, we don't. Okay. So PFF Zoltan. Zoltan, where's he from again? Hungary. Hungary. What did I say that one time? Romania? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm kidding. I know he's from Hungary. I know you are, Zoltan. I know you're an avid listener. I, I thought his tweet really summed this up, right? So he starts by tweeting, the recency bias regarding Derrick Henry is stunning. Over the first eight weeks of last season, he ranked 34th in yards per carry, 11th in broken tackles per carry, tied for 8th in yards after contact, ninth in rushing yards, and ninth in rushing touchdowns. But sure, he's the exception. LOL, haha, running backs are never the exception. So it's a fair point, the recency bias of what Henry did down the stretch, plus in the playoffs, top of mind, rushing champion, and all that stuff. I'm just more fascinated by the replies in the comments. And this is where Zoltan turns around and says, you're making my point everybody in the comments that was defending paying the money for derrick henry here we go change at quarterback in week six or over the first eight weeks the qb play was poor the left tackle was suspended this other thing happened henry was contacted behind the line of scrimmage at an extremely high rate there's all of the responses were the situation around him changed after the first six eight weeks or whatever it is that's why he had all the production in the second half of the season Mm-hmm. Point made, case, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the first point I want to make about this is it's not a bad contract. Like when you consider right. that yes. this, this is the rushing champion, everyone's you know basically the the you know the player coming up at the top of his game, getting the contract is almost universally the best paid player at that position because he's the most recent signed. Right. That's just the way it works. Like the Miles Garrett is the best paid edge rusher in the NFL because he's the last one that got the money. Um, that's the way it happens with this stuff. Derrick Henry is still only the fifth best paid running back in the NFL. So if you're going to make this deal as the Titans, they did a pretty good job of like mitigating the risk or mitigating the money they had committed to it. Then you get to the discussion of, well, should they have made the deal in the first place? And look, I, it's no secret that we would say no, right? Like my general rule of thumb has been, I would. I don't think I would ever pay a running back a big money second deal. Take him on a rookie deal, kick him to the curb, and go for the next one. Look, it sucks for running backs. Like that position, if you're a running back in high school or like get the hell away from that, find something else to be good at because being a running back in the NFL right now sucks. And it might come back in your direction, but if it doesn't, it's it's the worst position to be because all the data is trending towards the idea that you are the coal miner, right? You're the guy who's got the hardest job, but gets paid the least amount because you can just be 
look, you keel over of like black lung or whatever it was coal miners expired of back in the day. And they just wheeled you out of the mine and wheeled in somebody else to start hacking at the face, right? It, it's miserable and it's bad and it sucks, but it's reality. And that's running backs right now. They're just, they're coal miners. They're the hardest job in the, the and the least rewarded for it. Um, but just you because the analogy champion. But like, just because it's a hard job doesn't mean they should get the most money. Like, that's not the way life works, I'm afraid. Uh, let me so, look at it. Oh, let me look at it differently, too, right? Henry was awesome down the stretch. Like, let's not even take that away from him. If you take the best coal miner, so to speak, and he's awesome <laughs> at his job, is he good enough at his job that if you replace him, the job doesn't get done? You know, and I don't, I don't know coal mining enough, but let's just say that it doesn't. That's the issue with Henry. As good as he was down the stretch, you have to separate giving credit for what was done in the past and then yeah. predicting what's going to happen in the future. So all the credit in the world for Derrick Henry. He was awesome. There's two things about that. He was awesome against the Patriots and in, against the Ravens. Against the Patriots, they still only scored 14 points offensively. And that kind of sums things up. Against the Ravens, he was fantastic. But there's elements of that, too. Like, the pass game got them up 14-0. He was great creating yards after contact. He was awesome. No credit taken away from what Derrick Henry did. But to that point, all those stuff that Zoltan listed, if you need six things to happen for your running back to become valuable, then the running back's not the valuable piece of that equation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Titans are basically betting on being able to catch lightning in a bottle two years in a row. And that's probably not a very smart bet. Like, I mean, and and they were in a tough spot, right? Because like the Tannehill thing, Tannehill was so absurdly good last year that he almost made it impossible for them to do anything else, right? Even though, you know, like he was so good and so unsustainably good at stuff that isn't like translatable, He's going to regress this year. The only question is, how hard is it going to be? And he's not as bad as the guy that left Miami, and he's not as good as the guy that played last year. He's going to land somewhere in the middle, and how close to either extreme is going to determine how good they are effectively, right? If you were being a completely unbiased – like if you're the guy you know, that, that, that analyzes the sabermetrics in baseball from, a, like from just a spreadsheet, never talks to humans, and just this is what the number says, right? If you're that guy, you would probably tell the Titans to move on from Tannehill and not give him any money this offseason, right? As as painful as that is, the regression that he's going to get is not worth the contract you're going to have to give him. If it was me, I think I would hedge and say he's the perfect candidate for a franchise tag. Give him $30 million guaranteed this year, see how hard the regression hits, and then you have cover to get rid of it next year. Um, and you you only lose the, the one-year deal. If it was me, I think I would have given... Tannehill the franchise tag and let Derrick Henry walk. Um, instead, they locked Tannehill up to a long-term deal that is almost certainly not going to be justified by his play. And then they, ex- they used the franchise tag on Henry and extended him. Um, but go on. I was, I was just going to say, like we talked about Dak and the franchise tag and all that stuff. How about just comparing Dak versus Tannehill? Tannehill has one season that is way better than anything we've seen from Dak from a pure throw for throw standpoint. Maybe not like Dak's production, whatever last year was great, but throw for throw Tannehill last year is nothing like anything Dak's ever put together. Um, but, uh, but the rest of Tannehill's career is probably below what you would project for most of Dak's career. So I think that would be a perfect franchise tag candidate. I would say, though, once they made the decision to lock him up, 
you use the term run it back for another year. I'm okay. We talked about this at the time. I was okay with the Derrick Henry franchise tag only because I think in that one year sample, you don't know that you could have used that money elsewhere. You're not on the hook long term. Now, if I knew now, if, if, if franchising Derrick Henry kept me from say like the Byron Jones sweepstakes or some other impact player on the defensive side of the ball, or it actually was the reason why I couldn't re-sign Jack Conklin or whatever it might be, then you sit down and say, okay, maybe this isn't the right move. But I think in a vacuum, I don't care if I overpay a running back in one year and maybe try to catch lightning in a bottle one more time with Tannehill and Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and some of those offensive playmakers that they have. But once you go long-term, that's where it's risky, especially with all the, the number of hits that Derrick Henry takes, the workload that he takes. Yeah. So the two points that I wanted to make about it are one, whatever your rule of thumb is, like whatever you would establish as this is how we treat running backs. And for me, we've talked about it before. I I don't think I would ever, my rule of thumb would be never give him a second contract. And the run game is basically, it's the Mike Leach byproduct, right? It's what we do when the, the situation and the look becomes so favorable that it's more valuable than the passing game in that scenario and or specific scenarios where it's better to run anyway. So that would be the way I approach running game. Um, But then every now and again, you break the rule, right? It's a rule of thumb. It's not a hard and fast rule. But everybody thinks that they found the unicorn, right? That's the problem with how people treat running backs right now is it's whatever your rule of thumb is, everybody thinks that their guy is different. We found the unicorn. This is the guy that changes everything and we're going to break the rules for him and this and that's where you get problems right Le'Veon Bell was the unicorn David Johnson was the unicorn now Christian McCaffrey is the unicorn the reality is almost probably none of these guys are we'll we'll find out about Christian McCaffrey but most of the time the guy is not the unicorn so that's that's your big issue with this right now is that if your immediate like argument for this is well this guy is different you're probably just it's bad process the next point I think is a guy asked me this on the radio this morning. I think this is the right way of looking at it. It's not, should you pay this guy a contract or not? It's how big can the contract be before it's a bad deal, right? Because the one deal that's happened this off season that I think is actually a pretty good deal for all concerned was the one that Austin Eckler signed, right? So Eckler signs a new contract, second contract, big money in, uh, in air quotes, but it was like a modest sum of cash and Eckler is by far the most efficient running back when it comes to the pass game. He's the only one, including McCaffrey, whose numbers actually stack up versus wide receivers when they're like split out, right? Even, even McCaffrey, when you split him out into wide receiver situations and ask him to run receiver patterns, he's not good at it generally, right? He's better than running backs, but he's not as good as receivers or tight ends. So it's like a false economy to say, well, that's why we want to pay him the money. Um, Eckler's the one guy who it's actually true. Like if you split him out as a receiver, he's as good as receivers doing that. And yet he got a contract that's like a fraction of what McCaffrey signed. And is so like that deal, I think, reaches the point where we go, okay, that, that was worth it. That was a good deal for the Chargers. Where is that line? Because that's the question you need to ask, right? Now, Henry is working against the fact that he's not a factor in the passing game. He's working against the fact that um, that you know he's basically a ball carrier. He's a dominant ball carrier where that is the least valuable element of being a running back. 
So how much should he get? And I, I mean, I haven't worked. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's probably less than he got. Probably less than he got. At the same time, let's go. Let's. I, I say this a lot too, right? Like being able to properly attribute success where it should be, you know, where it should be divvied up, is huge. So if you're, if the Titans were in the room, and they were saying, "Look, we made it to the AFC Championship last year." We have Ryan Tannehill, who never in his career looked anything like he did last year. And we have the rushing champion. So you could take those like three facts and then you could come up with so many different conclusions. If the conclusion was, well, Derrick Henry was the engine. He led the league in yards. Mm -hmm. Tannehill performed like that because we had that guy and we went made it to the AFC championship. One game away from the Super Bowl. All we have to do is run it back and have a little bit more luck and improve a couple other areas. And we're right back in the mix. Lock up Derrick Henry. Cause he's the engine. Like if that's the discussion, I think that's bad process. But I think if, if you work at it the other way and say, you know, maybe we lucked into this Tannehill season and, you know, Henry did his thing and he is really tough to tackle. Averaging four yards after contact per rush is really difficult. He can actually do stuff above and beyond our offensive line. Um, which you don't find a whole lot with running backs. If we can keep him in the mix because yeah, running backs are replaceable, but Henry is a little different in the way he runs versus the next 10 guys. Let's, let's give it a shot. You know, if, if they kind of Steve hedged around a little bit, it didn't break the bank for him, which they didn't like they didn't, they didn't break right. the bank to your point, but they probably overpaid him. If that's the mentality, I think the process is good because as the next season and the next season, the next few seasons unfold, you'll be able to see things through that lens and adjust properly. If that all makes sense, which is different from like, we're locking up Derek Henry. He's our bell cow. Pay him all the money because he's the only reason why we made it to the AFC championship. I feel like they went the other way, a roundabout way of saying, yeah, he's kind of this piece we'd like to have. Let's have a contract that we're not going to regret, but probably isn't perfect dollar for value on paper. Yeah, like I said, my overall sort of takeaway was that I think the Titans were in a tough spot in terms of what to do this offseason, right? Because there are so many ways of looking at what happened and coming to those conclusions, right? Like Derrick Henry's the engine, Ryan Tannehill is the perfect foil for that. And with those guys, we almost hit the Super Bowl. So we we bring them back, we add a couple of pieces, you know, the draft well and the secondary, we're, we're there. But you have to ask yourself, does that happen two times in a row? And, you know, so I think they were in this spot where they're almost set up to fail, right? Almost regardless of what they did this offseason, it was going to go wrong. So the question is, like, how do you mitigate that risk? I think to be fair to them, they've mitigated it reasonably well, right? Like the Tannehill contract is not a disaster. It's not, you know, it's not one that I don't that I think they should have done. But if you're going to do it, that's about it as well as you could do the Derrick Henry contract again, like I wouldn't have extended him, but if you're going to the fact that he's still only the fifth highest paid running back, um, given what he's was capable of doing last season, it's not the worst deal in the world. Like it's not a bad job of mitigating the risk that he becomes the next Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson or Todd Gurley or Tevin Coleman are like, pick your running back, right? It's going to happen. The question is how bad is the damage if it happens? And, Right. For them, it's not catastrophic. I think it's a good way of putting it, Sam. Let's wrap it up with uh, Yannick Ngakwe and the Jacksonville Jaguars. You just wrote up um, every defensive line. 
in the NFL. So that's probably top of mind for you, knowing where the strengths, if you remember anything, where the strengths and weaknesses are across the NFL. There's a lot of rumors. And Ngakwe was, you know, very vocally doesn't want to play with the Jags. There's supposedly some trade partners uh, potentially for him. What do we think Ngakwe's worth? Is there a fit around the NFL that you like where he can immediately contribute and be that pure edge rusher? Just from a grading standpoint, he's been a good, not great edge rusher. Um, from a, a good, not great pass rusher and a below average run defender throughout the most majority of his career. He's in this interesting spot where like he, the two things he has going for him are his peak was really good. And he's still only like 26, 25. Right. He might even be still 25. Um, so like young pass rusher with insane actual high end is a really valuable thing, but the last time he showed that was that 2017 defense where it was just stacked, right? Everybody around him was phenomenal. Like he'll never have a better situation than that. In fact, he'll never have a situation as good as that. Um, and he has been, he's been approaching a liability in the run game if he hasn't been there. Uh, and you know, we haven't like, we haven't really seen that play from him despite the age. So I don't know how much a team should be willing to give up to chase that. Yeah, I, I struggle with that as well. I, I know from a team standpoint, in a vacuum, I, I've looked at the Buffalo Bills. I know that they've the Bills have thrown a ton of resource at their defensive line, but they still don't have – they have Jerry Hughes and kind of like a whole bunch of stuff thrown yeah. at a wall where I do think the compliment, given the other pieces that they have on their team too, would be awesome having that in place in Gakway and Hughes and a few other throw-at-the-wall guys. Um, you know, I think there's a few other teams, but – it's got to be a win now team. And I, I just don't love all of that as a concept win now, give right. up future draft capital for this guy who like, if I had a first round pick to just spend on Yannick and Gakwe, even on a rookie deal, it'd be like a debate. I don't, it's not like a slam dunk first rounder for that production, even before you have to pay him. The team that sort of jumps out as being really intriguing is the Seahawks because like sure. you look at what their D line, their edge rushing situation is on paper right now. It's miserable. Like with no clowny on board and it wasn't great with him there. Um, like they're expecting LJ Collier to suddenly become a top tier pass rusher, or they're expecting Bruce Irvin to somehow recapture that magic or, you know, Rasheem green or like, it's just, I mean, who there's nobody on that roster that suddenly looks Daryl Taylor that suddenly looks like a really big threat to generate pressure. Um, so he would fit there. But the other thing working against him is like, look at the guys that are available for nothing. Everson Griffin is still available. Everson Griffin is a better pass rusher than Yannick Ngakwe. Jadevian Clowney is still available. He is a better edge defender than Yannick Ngakwe, even if Ngakwe is probably a better pass rusher. Cameron Wake is still available. Like he might be 40. And if he still wants, you know, does he still want to play? Is he still it sounds like play? it. Yeah. So I think like Cameron, if if you ask me like first round pick for Ngakwe, or you can have a 30, whatever he is, year old Cameron Wake for 400 uh, pass rushing snaps, and it's going to cost you nothing. Like you're gonna, t- I would take Cameron Wake. I think he's a better, again, a better pass rusher than Ngakwe, albeit a way shorter term solution, and comes with his own problems. But like Ngakwe is not just battling the fact that someone has to trade for him; it's battling what's already available, and you know, trying to seem like you're better value than that. Yeah, and again, not to, we always try to balance explaining <laughs> value and explaining you know, what guys are worth and all that stuff. 
from a war standpoint, Yannick Ngakwe has been 46th, he's been 33rd, he's been 35th at the position um, over the last few years. So it's so call him a fringe number one pass rusher just from a value standpoint. But even if all goes great, so Chandler Jones from a war standpoint maybe wasn't the most valuable edge rusher last year, but when you had like the actual value of the things he did on the field might have been number one because he had all those sacks last year and the Cardinals still can't win games. Even when they have that Chandler Jones was kind of like that classic. He's like the 30th or 32nd best pass rusher in the league for a few years with the Patriots. And then he went to Arizona upped his game even more. So as good as productive as Chandler Jones was last year, he didn't necessarily move the needle as far as wins and losses to the Cardinals. And I know that's unfair to just put any of that onto just one player. I'm just trying to use an example that even if Ngakwe goes somewhere and all goes great, he has 16 sacks and he's more reasonable against the run and all these different things, it still might not move the needle as far as wins and losses goes. And you're giving up, uh, you know, a draft pick and paying a ton of money for that. So I just, you know, that combined with all the, um, the other opportunities, the other players that you mentioned at maybe a fraction of the cost from a draft capital and money standpoint, it's really tough to maybe defend trying to give up a lot for Ngakwe. Yep. Agreed. All right. Is that it for us today? Well, we're going to sign off with our, uh, our PFT interview, right? Oh man. I didn't even, I forgot to uh... tease it. You didn't tease it. I did forget to tease it back. This was, it was over the Super Bowl. Our friend PFT commenter of uh, pardon my take and many other places over at Barstool. He, he came by the, uh, the house we had in Miami, hung out with George and I, and we, we just uh, discussed all sorts of things. Uh, so PFT, we have a little interview. It was back at the Super Bowl, but we thought it was slightly relevant because uh, the boss, Chris Collinsworth, is going to be on his podcast this week. Uh, PFT, it wasn't just all humor. PFT, we recruited him to be on the show, to get some interviews, whatever. And he came at us with some demands. Mm. He's coming at PFF with some ideas, some demands. And uh, I thought it was fascinating. I think you know, there might be a partnership down down the road uh, with PFT, with, uh, with their show and, and you know, his ideas. So let's, let's check it out. Um, so PFT interview coming up here. Also... Special thanks to Peter King for showing up during the interview, Sam. Hmm. He did. Did he? Well, let's find out. So that's it for us today. We'll be back on Monday morning. Uh, we've got all sorts of rankings to discuss, any other NFL news. But we're getting closer to what I think is going to be a season. It's going to be great. Get to PFF.com. we got all sorts of team preview stuff up there. We have all sorts of uh, basically uh, – everything you need to get ready for the season team rankings position rankings it's all coming out so we'll, we'll see you on monday and enjoy our little discussion with uh pft they're like a stingray they they attack when you don't see them coming you know they're like always below the surface also very low pad level the stingray and you don't see them coming and then they hit you on the blind side that's kind of how shanahan uses the fullback like you know he's got him coming in like doing these wham blocks coming across the line I think what you're seeing right now is a culmination of two teams that do it right. Does that upset you, though? 
I mean, is that like your favorite band goes mainstream? I mean, is that is that what it feels like when yeah. the fullback becomes an, an an athlete? Oh, you like fullbacks? What are your four favorite neck rolls of all time? <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm a I'm a fullback hipster in that way. No, I'm happy to see the position kind of uh, kind of make a, a little bit of a comeback. You guys zig where everyone else zags, or in this case, just run straight downhill while everyone else sags. And it's good to see the, the position make a comeback. I'm very happy. I'm more than happy to spread the love. You're going to see, you're going to see, in my case, I'm uh, an athlete first, offensive weapon. I was listed when I tried out for the D.C. Defenders as offensive weapon slash kicker. So I think yeah. you're going to see more of these hybrid guys like me uh, coming along and really changing. Because I've always thought you put, you get a receiver and you put him at running back like Cordero Patterson, but maybe you just get a kicker. And you put them at running back. You really Man. throw everyone for a loop. Like, oh, they're, they're punting on third and two. The more you can do. Well, Nick Saban tried to do that except put a kicker as a fullback. And it didn't really work out well for him. No, that was a national title no, game. Not. That was a mistake. I got to ask you this. Your week here probably looks very different from ours. What's the, like, funniest, craziest coolest thing you've done so far or, or well, going to do at some point? I got arrested last night. At NFL opening night. I don't know if it was actually an arrest or a detainment. This is an ongoing semantics battle. Difference? I don't know, but it sounds way cooler <laughs> to say that you got arrested. I went full Mrs. Doubtfire. I put on a full prosthetic mask. I had bosoms. I had a wig. Is that what we're calling them now? I, I, 2020? Yeah, I diaped up. I put on a few diapers. Uh, Big Cat got dressed up as an old man, and we went in. So he didn't dress up. Uh, yeah, yeah. He just yeah. <laughs> just went as himself. Right. He just he, he just exercised. He went for a five minute jog, <laughs> and then he was wheezing. He had an oxygen tank, and we were going in. I thought we were good. The credentials <laughs> that we acquired were not up to they weren't up to snuff. So I got stopped by security after we were inside for about a half hour, and uh, my wallet was in my purse. Wow. So I took my wallet out, and I was like, oh, I actually do have my ACLU card in here. And so I was like, what, what do I say? Oh, am I being detained? And so I just kept repeating, like, am I being detained? And the old lady voice, my name is Don Gruden, D-A-W-N, Don Gruden, on my past. And uh, they, they took me outside, and uh, one cop wanted to take me to jail. The other wanted to just say, let this person go. They're actually very respectful. I got, I got to give it to the Miami police. The because guy you were an old lady or because they just... Or uh, did they just respect yeah. the... They, they just respected a good fake credential. I don't know. The guy was saying, uh, sir, ma'am, I'm not sure what you'd like me to call you. I don't want to be disrespectful. And I was like, well, that's very nice. Now I feel bad about you know wasting your time. But I went out and they were uh, they were taking me off the premises. One person was like, take him to jail, take him to jail. And the other, the other police officer goes... He's got an ACLU card on him. And so, like, randomly, <laughs> this card that I had that I totally forgot about in my wallet may have gotten me off last night. So they just they sent me off into the night, and, uh, and I went about my way. So um, I need to what talk to Chris. Is he here? He's or, not. Is he sharing? So we're, a, we're trying to get Chris to come in. Okay. Uh, and the plan is right now potentially an end of the week. Okay. Uh, end of the week. Right. I've got some demands. So if you could pass that really? along to Yeah, him, we yeah. could definitely... Um, we, do you yeah. want to share maybe a demand here, mm. and then we can the intellectual property? It won't. Know. It won't I transfer know. over. I, I don't. How many demands do you have? Do you have like a? I've got a list. I've, Ten I've, commandments. You show up with two tablets. Here's a little media tip for you guys. It's always good whenever you sit down with somebody to just have a list of about a dozen demands and things that you need from them in that moment, and that way the relationship gets off to a really good start. So, yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Let's write that. Down. That's what I had. <laughs> That's what I had right here. So yeah. not, what other demands do we have here? <laughs> 
I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, What's the evergreen commenting community? Like, what's the area of commenting that hasn't been discovered yet that you're secretly on? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, YouTube's never going to go away. Are you talking about the internet comments in general? Anywhere. If you told me, like, posting post-it notes to people's lockers. Is there a certain sport that's untapped? Or or like like analog commenting. Like, (laughs) graffiti is the original... That, yeah, just highways. Is are, that going to come back? That's the original super highways. It's just cyclical, an overpass. like the fullback, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think graffiti should make a comeback. Uh, what comment sections am I reading? The sad thing is the comment section is kind of becoming an endangered species. More and more websites are getting rid of them. I don't know if you guys have them at Pro Football Focus. We got rid of them. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm sure they're... Yeah, the we have them on YouTube, everybody. though. And yeah. the YouTube ones, I agree with you. So they're like levels of hell... Like mm-hmm. the lowest level, in my opinion, is YouTube, because if you're really on there commenting on a YouTube video, I just like I can't I can't. And this will end up on YouTube, it. so comment yeah. below. Comment, subscribe. I'm at. You know what I'm going to start doing? You guys gave me a good idea. I'm going to start commenting on pornography websites. <laughs> on I'm going to write full blogs on like <laughs> on the untapped market on the YouPorn comment section. Which why do why do porn sites even have comment sections? I didn't what's, know they did. What's the con- oh, yeah, oh yeah, I, I don't know either. I, I'll check. <laughs> I'll have to double check and make sure. That do you think they have a comment limit, like a number of characters? We're going to find out. I'm going to start blogging ex- exclusively on Pornhub. <laughs> Look at that spurring, like, <laughs> next career moments here. EFT, that's I, great. I've, I've actually thought about just uploading, like, the best blocks of the year onto a porn website and just seeing, like, <laughs> seeing if they flag it as inappropriate content. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. I wonder what you'd have to do. So to his get... mind's already going that way. That's good. Inappropriate. I was legitimately curious. I thought he was going to say, like, rugby or something. Uh, I mean, yeah. rugby is the next big sport in America. I'm still convinced of that. More than... More than lacrosse. More than lacrosse. Get Sam on here. Sam's More our soccer. resident Irishman who loves rugby and all that stuff. So that's his. That's his thing. Yeah, it's it's a fun sport. And the U.S. has a long way to go in terms of being competitive in the full side, the fifteen side game, uh, full rugby union, but. We are pretty good at sevens, and that's kind of a more fun sport to watch. You know, seven minute halves, the games are over fast. There's a lot of scoring, and we've got. I think so. We used to basically just build our entire team around former. Uh, like football players and teach them rugby. Now we've actually got players that grew up in the United States playing rugby their whole life. In addition to like two really, really world-class speedsters that did play football. The, there's a, um, a winger uh, named Carlin Isles. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he ran something like a 4-1-7-40. Really? When he was in college, he was a kick returner and he was on the, on the Lions practice squad for a little bit. But he's a small guy. He's yeah, like 5'8", 160, 155. Um, but he's the fastest person I've ever seen on any field. doesn't matter what sport it is. I watched him play in Hong Kong, and he was so fast, he made me cry. He was faster than, like, I was also on MDMA at the time. But he was, <laughs> I was going to say, he was, he, was, uh, he was running, like, he was on the field with other world-class sprinters, and he was making them look like they were second graders. And I started laughing so hard that I started crying because a man was fast. Also because of the... I don't know. We, that's unconfirmed. I, have you heard of microdosing? This is really off topic. No. I have. I've been trying to figure out who... So the idea of microdosing is that you take a little bit of MDMA and it helps your creativity. MDMA, yeah. Uh, or, psilocybin sometimes. Yep. And the, the idea is that people in Silicon Valley, like big you know, executives are taking it. Mm-hmm. And I really want to find out who has, who's done it, so I can look at their products and be like... Yeah, does this work? This was the result of, yeah. of your... 
I want to know so I can short those companies. Right. Well, because yeah. it, seems, it seems to me like just an excuse to, well, it could be one of two things. Either it's just an excuse to take drugs while you work, or it's just rich people being super bored. And so, like, insanely just, they don't have anything else going on to, in, in their lives. So they just try to, you know, find ways to, to mess with their own brains all the time. What if you did it? What if you did it for, like, football play calling and scheme? What if secretly Kyle Shanahan's just been... They already do that. They already, like... I'm just not going to sleep ever because I'm a football coach. That's oh, that's what right. I do. Have you, that's so they, why Arians doesn't call plays. He gets good night's sleep. They bring that's, in, why he can't, that's why he screws it up. They bring in those uh, saltwater tubs. Yeah, the, the, the chambers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw one of those one time. They say that if you sleep one hour in that thing, it's like getting three hours... And you fall asleep sleep. immediately. Yeah, it sounds like junk science, but I love junk science. So I really want to try. It feels like the next thing you need to try out here. Yeah, so I, I went to this place in New York. Um, class pass messed up, and they gave me like a, a bunch of points because <laughs> What's class pass? it's this thing where you can try all these different workout things, like different Oh, I have heard stuff. of this, yeah. Uh, so they messed up, and they, they thought I was an influencer in the fitness community for some reason. <laughs> Which, thank you, ClassPass. I, I actually really do enjoy the product, but uh, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely not the standard, like, fitness model. Uh, so they gave me all these points, and I'm just using all my points to go to, like, massages and, <laughs> and uh, this, like, restorative sleep place, which has one of those has chambers one of those in it. I haven't gotten in it, but I did the infrared sauna, which was lovely. Uh, they also they have an altitude chamber, which I want to try, which is you just sit in this thing that looks like a flight simulator, and then they get you up to the equivalent of, like, 10,000 feet above sea level. <laughs> bring you down to 8,000, then up to 15,000, then down again, and I guess it makes your blood operate at a more efficient level. Again, yeah. we all I, need this. We I, all need this. I yeah. need to experience this. So that I think the sleep deprivation one is going to be the next one on my list, and then the altitude chamber. Uh, still a lot of points to burn? Still, I got a lot of It's tough to get rid of all these points when you work out as uh, infrequently as I do. <laughs> did you ever go to any of the classes? Uh, yeah, I did. I went to a bar class one time, uh, which is like a ballet-inspired like ballet, right? thing. Yeah. It was not a bad workout. I was trying to work on my uh, on my calves and my my leg flexibility. How's that working for before you? the tryout? Actually, not bad. Like my leg is, um, my my groin is no longer pulled after my tryout. That's so good. it took yeah. me about like a week and a half to finally uh, feel normal again. I, I went to this one. Um, <laughs> it was like a CrossFit type place, so I was I was feeling pretty good about going there, knowing that it would be probably evenly distributed, like male female. I went in. I was the only guy there. <laughs> And they said on their website, like, we've got showers and stuff for uh, people to use after class. And I was on my way to work afterwards, so I was like, I'm good because I'm going to need to shower. And then after the class was over, they're just like, okay, here's the shower. And there was just, like, one shower in one <laughs> locker room, and I had to share a locker room with, like, the ladies. And I was like, you know what? This, I can't, this is a bit aggressive. I asked the class, I was like, can I just get my stuff out and leave and let you guys go do your thing? They were happy to, to get me out of there. <laughs> Let's try this out. So, you know Peter King, right? Yeah. Okay. I do. So, I'd like you to, to meet Peter King here. Okay. Uh, Peter King is really, really wants to get a Pat Mahomes interview, but Pat Mahomes has kind of been standing him up. Okay. Um, so, I'm going to just kind of sit back and, and relax. And, Peter, I'm going to let you talk okay. to, to Patrick. So, oh, Patrick. Okay. so Pat. I'm, I'm watching Thursday That's a really good Peter King impression. Football. Hang on. All right. And it's a classic quarterback sneak. And there you are, laying on the turf, your entire career in front of you. 
I, I got to know. I just got to know what you're thinking at that time as you're laying there with this knee injury. And nobody knows how long you're going to be out. And I'm three IPAs deep trying to write my column. And I'm calling around the league just trying to figure out how long are we going to be without the great Pat Mahomes. And I just got to know what is going through your head at that time. I was thinking, gee whiz, that hurt like the dickens. I was, my knee was smarting and all. I didn't know which way my ankle was pointing at the time. Uh, fortunately, Andy Reid came over. He said, your daddy played baseball, Patrick. And he should have learned you to slide a little bit better than that. And I said, that's fair, coach. That's, you're a fair man. Uh, please phrase all your remaining questions to me in the form of a haiku, please. <laughs> I don't have my haikus ready just yet. It's three to four more IPAs before those really start flowing. But, Pat, I just it's just been an honor to watch you in your first two years. I, I remember Marino when he came in, and, you know, nobody expected what he did. And it's this is like when Marino came in, and here's Pat Mahomes, and it's, it's just full circle. Well, thank you. Hopefully I win a couple more rings in the old Thunder Dan. Uh, we're going to certainly work hard on that this weekend. Uh, let me know if everything's satisfactory in your hotel this weekend, by the way. I'm a big fan of the Starwood Preferred Travel Notes of the Week. There we go. That was, that was he was pretty good. That was that's a great. I was intimidated because of how good the Peter King impression is. Like, like the only that is one spot I could, on. It's all I could do. So <laughs> he was really nervous about it. He's like, I'm not sure I can pull it off. I was like, dude, no, that's, it's that's so good. good. I feel like I'm on the pod. Yeah. Peter. yeah, Peter is. Uh, he's got a very distinctive way of speaking about himself and the league, and I think he nailed it. That was perfect. Uh, there's something serious I want to bring up about. Uh, this negotiation that I'm about to enter in with Chris, maybe I can get your help with it. Uh, I I want to enter into some sort of licensing agreement with you guys uh, for my next-gen stat of fullback assists, which I've been tracking. Mm. Is it possible, just you guys knowing your company as you do, do you think there'd be any interest in investing in my brain for that stat? It's proprietary, so you guys can't use it without my permission. I think we could work something out. I think we could do it. Can you run the math on that? Can you uh, what, what I need is throw a, an algorithm on that thing? What we need is a proof of concept. Well, we, we have a one. Demonstration. We have one. I tracked them all this year. Okay. Do you uh, have a PowerPoint that you can show us? I don't know what that we is. Believe in, we believe in PowerPoints <laughs> here. Okay. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can, do you have a graph? I got, Just any graph. I'll do you get, have some graffiti that breaks <laughs> this down? Or I'll anything? get my intern, Billy Football, to uh, to put together a PowerPoint about that. He's, he's can you pretty explain good. A so, napkin, yeah, anything. A fullback assist is... Anytime there's a rushing touchdown from five yards in or closer, and there is a full ba- a fullback as a lead blocker on the play, mm-hmm. so um, you know the running back obviously gets credit for the touchdown. The fullback gets an assist. Yeah. Doesn't re- we haven't tracked, you know, whether or not he actually executes a block on the play, but as long as he's lined up in a lead blocking position and the running back scores a That's touchdown. That's what we do. What I mean, if we yeah. combine the two? Yeah. So PFF grades the block, obviously. Okay. So we could know if it was a successful block, and then we could take that inside the five annotation, you know, delineation. Okay. So you could take assist to the next level. You can like everybody gets an assist, but if you actually make a good block, it's like an assist plus. It's something. I like next that assist. Yeah, like hat on. What's your hat on a hat percentage? Yes, hat on a hat. That inside engage, the five, hat on a hat five. percentage. I like, I, that. I like that a lot too, because there, like, I do it kind of as, as a joke, but also like there's something 
to the fact that fullbacks don't really get credit sometimes for making those blocks, and they're the ones that, you know, if you look at uh, it was the it was the Oakland Chicago game in London this year. Alec Ingold, he dove over the goal line mm-hmm. like you would see a tailback do, stretching the ball out. But he dove over the goal line to block two guys, two linebackers that were uh, behind the line, takes them out of the way. Then Jacobs dives over the top and he scores a touchdown. I was like, well, Alec should probably get some sort of credit. Did you for give it. him two assists for that, or can you only max out at one? And see, that's a, there are some some flaws in the system that we're working. This is so, why we need to have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we had he only got one. If you so we give grades on a level of like from negative two to positive two, but in point fives. Okay. So if he, a great block like that might get a plus one or a plus one point five, and we could scale the hat on hat assist number mm-hmm. based big, on that. Big time assist. Yeah, big, big time, time assist. assist. I like that. Assist. BTAs. Big, big time hat on hat. <laughs> I like big that. I like that a lot. There's, there's, yeah, so this is, there's definitely some opportunity for some synergy here. Have your people reach out to our people and we'll workshop. I think uh, we'll we just need to try and make this happen. We okay. need to try and get Chris in a room. Um, I got one last question for you guys. I, I, I got to yeah. duck out real quick and do our radio show here. But are you doing anything with XFL? Are you tracking? We are. We're okay. grading every single player. All right. Can so. you do me a favor? Can you just, like, downgrade the shit out of every single kicker? Yeah. And so that around the league, people are like, wow, we've got a kicking problem. I wonder if there's anybody that we can call that can be a step up. The funny thing So are you going to keep training? Oh, kicker grades might be tough to downgrade, yeah. you know, made field goals. Well, so no, we'll sure you could find a way. There are good but makes and there are bad makes. That's true. We do differentiate. Do you, do you actually? Kind of. I mean, it depends on how far it is. There's, there's a difference between right down the we middle. Do, we do actually doink. track. Is it down the middle? Is it inside right, inside left, and all that nonsense? Okay. So, um, yeah, listen. So we can doctor things up a little bit. Okay, I like it. Yeah, just downgrade everybody. Sure, he made all his field goals, but, like, barely. Yeah, know? but he didn't look good doing them. Yeah. We should also write a few articles about the we'll get potential for, like, the offensive weapon kicker. That's true. Yeah. Like, so we can definitely put him on the field. Best available free agents and stuff like that. Best available. Yeah, I would love to be on that list. And I've got a secret weapon, the onside kick. Uh, my, my onside kick is... I, it's better than Young Way Cruz. I'll put it that really? way. Really? Yeah, and he's and, and he's the best in the business. It's right totally now. different from how he does it. There's no kicker that does it like I do. I am actually training. I'm going to keep training for okay. it. That, so, that's what the class passes for. That's what the class <laughs> passes for. Just get my my right leg to be extremely flexible. My goal is by the end of February to be back hitting 51 yarders. So if I can get back to that distance, I feel like I should get a call at some point, right? I would think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we'll especially see. if we, you know, if we're your hype machine. Exactly. Well. Yeah. So there we go. We'll work together. We've got a lot of business opportunities here. I was not expecting that. Yeah. There's no money changing hands, but a lot of business opportunities. That's, we'll we'll have, that's we'll what all real businesses, yeah. anyways. We'll, right? we'll, it's we'll like let the marketing. We'll let the boys in the back figure out. That's how to what make the money Super Bowl is all about. This whole week. <laughs> uh, that was it's awesome. Man. That was good. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Of course. Appreciate it very much. Yeah.